your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We have an interview and we have an interview with the German Susan Salzbrenner. But uh, whether she's German or is actually hard to hear, to be honest, but a little bit more about Susan. Susan Salzbrenner supports multicultural teams, professional athletes and leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate diverse cultural contexts. She's an organizational psychologist, consultant and trainer, focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural intelligence and international talent development. She's lived in six countries on four continents and learned and failed at many languages and played a bit of basketball along the way. The interview is um, very upbeat, or, or let's put it differently, I really enjoyed doing this interview. Um, it was um, uh, full, It's full of content, typically if you're a sports person. So if you like sports, if you do some sort of sports in uh, any form or shape, or if you're a sports fan in pretty much any sport, and you're, um, you're involved in, in international business, you will definitely see the link that we're trying to make here, Susan and myself, between um, business and sports and sports and culture as such. Make sure you listen to the end because the three tips that she gives are really simple, straightforward and very applicable applicable to uh, to everyone's life if you're working international. Let's go straight to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Chris. It's an early rise for you, isn't it? It is, I know, but it's a beautiful race. It's uh, the sun over the mountains of Colorado, so I can't complain. You gave us away a little bit of uh, of where you are, at least. So <laughs> let's sort of get this 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 interview started. Tell us a little bit, Susan, about yourself. Uh, where do you come from? Where you are right now? Well, we know Colorado, uh, which is probably in the United States. Mm-hmm. And what would you consider your cultural frame of reference? Okay, well... Um, I start with the last question. I think my my current cultural frame of reference is that of a global nomad because Mm -hmm. I don't have a home or an address at the moment. Um, Traveling with my family while working from the road. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, as I just mentioned, we're currently in Colorado in the US. We've been in the US for two months now, Mm -hmm. um, going all the way from Chicago to Vancouver to California, now back to Colorado. Um, And I'm I'm actually originally German, coming from the former East, um, but haven't lived in Germany, my home country, so to say, for the past almost 10 years, I think. So started off early traveling and exploring the world and um, lived in the US and in Australia, studied there and um, and then moved to Denmark, natural <laughs> next <laughs> choice. As one does, yeah. As one does. Yeah. And then met my Brazilian husband in Copenhagen. Yeah. Um, as one does. <laughs> um, and then we moved together to China and France. And we just um, we just finished our time in France together. So we thought we have two little ones, two um, multicultural kids. So we thought we would take them on a bit of a road trip and, and see family and friends in different places. Because, I mean, as you surely know, Chris, mm. when, once you move around, there's people in all kinds of places and you yep. 
want to keep in touch with them, but it's so, even though there's internet and Skype and FaceTime and whatnot, it's so much nicer to actually see them face to face once in a while. So we um, set out to to meet some of our best friends on the road. And how how much time is left uh, on your agenda or your clock in the U.S.? Um, so we have another three weeks. Okay. So we're going to spend Thanksgiving here, which my husband has never done. So it's going to be a good experience. That's cool. That's nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we're going to Brazil for Christmas and just uh, spending the, the, the winter months, as we Europe, Europeans or Westerners yeah. call it, in, in the summer. Okay, that's nice. And then and after Brazil, any plans? We don't know yet, so we kind of kept that open um, as we go along because we have a five and a three-year-old, so it mm. kind of depends on how they're doing. You know what um, what we think would be would be fun to do with them, and also a bit of the um, yeah, just places we haven't been to and how to get to them and figuring out cheap flight tickets and things like that. <laughs> That's good fun though. <laughs> exactly. And then, I mean, I haven't talked about my professional self yet, but just to very briefly sum this up, um, I'm an intercultural trainer and consultant um, work as a freelancer with um, a lot of the Fortune 500 companies worldwide um, doing work in diversity, inclusion, leadership, and um team management and, and, and global mobility mm-hmm. work. Um, and I have my own company, which is called uh, Fit Across Cultures, Fit where across. Um, yeah. where I work with, um, with the same type of topics, but in the setting of the sports industry, so with professional athletes. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And you look like an athlete as well. I do. <laughs> so the, the, well, I, this is just to ping the curiosity of the uh, of the listener, of course, because most listeners yeah. will probably be either mowing the lawn, well, not in winter if they're in the northern <laughs> hemisphere. They'll be the car, they'll be at the gym, they'll be out on a run, and of course, I want to sort of, you know, sort of spike their interest when that they go to the website and, and look at your picture, and then hence the show notes as well, of course. And these perfect, yeah, they should check that out. Yeah. <laughs> and you can find <laughs> no, those I, show I, notes I, at culturematters.com, by the way, and then click on podcast, and the rest will lead to itself. And you were going to say, Susan, sorry. I was just going to say that I, I was indeed an athlete. So that's also why the whole business idea came about. Um, I, I used to, I used to dance ballet for a long time, um, 15 years actually. Uh-huh. And then when I was 16, 17, it just kind of, um, well, it's a very competitive individual Absolutely. sport, you know, and very individual. Yeah. So you don't have any friends when you're a ballet dancer, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless it's your partner who shouldn't drop you. Yeah. But um, I, I, I just, I was in my teenage years and I grew really sick of it. Um, so I started playing basketball. Okay. Well, that's- natural <laughs> transition. <laughs> well, you got to jump high as well there. Exactly. I was very graceful in my layups, they said. Um, but uh, yeah, so I played basketball for a long time and everywhere I went, everywhere I went abroad, I used to, I used sport as a mean to meet other people because, you know, when you're going to a new place, it can be daunting, especially when you're working and you're kind of stuck with a small group of people that you're interacting with and it's a long day and then you don't know how to make new friends. So I always used the sport as a, as an outlet to meet people Um and uh, and then kind of came up with the idea because I met a lot of professional athletes, played with them, and mm-hmm. saw how little they were actually being helped when they were moving abroad. Okay. Yes, I guess so. They they we had um, John Amici on the on the show as well yeah. earlier on, and um, he does a lot uh, with uh, I think with kid, helping kids as well. 
mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, all that good stuff as well. I want to take it back pretty much to the beginning, and we'll we'll cover a number of the steps that you've just been taken and told us about in, in terms mm-hmm. of your uh, your professional career as well. Which is, um, you said you've lived outside of Germany for at least the last ten years, yeah. right? Um, would you? agree with me so it's a bit of a close question yes and no answer would you agree with me that if you go back to germany that you would still be able to play the german game in other words what i'm getting at is is do would you or does someone lose its its mother culture mother country mother culture even after having been away after 10 years Mm, it's a good question. I I do think I could play the game, and I do. I mean, and obviously, the game is a broad term, there, right? It's right. A very, it's not a sure. real game, right? It's not a real game, but it it's it's sort of like putting on a, a face, right? My yeah. my my German culture hat, basically. Yeah. And I I can definitely go along with that, and I know the rules. I know how to work very successfully within that culture. Yeah. But what I notice is that there are many things that I don't agree with anymore. So there's, you know, there's two aspects to it. There's the aspect of knowing the culture and being able to work with it. And then at the same time, seeing certain aspects of it that are, that because my horizon has been yeah. broadened in the sense of being an international citizen, having lived in different places, I can see certain advantages of the German culture and I can see many disadvantages where I might think, okay, if they if they would do this a little bit less stringent, less organized, less structured, exactly. they would maybe be, you know, get more innovative or better results because there would be more flexibility in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that that's what they need to be successful. So I can definitely cater to it. Um, so I think if you have lived most of your developmental years and were really shaped in that culture, you always, you will always find your way back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might not, it might not be good for your well-being in the long run. <laughs> yeah, you might not fit there anymore. Exactly. Even though I you might understand how the game is being played. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good summary. Well, that's the, I was just curious because that's my my own conviction, and because mm-hmm. a lot of people say, you know, um, I've heard this this term global nomad, etc., or mm-hmm. I don't know what culture I belong to, and that is rarely, rarely, really true. I I believe I feel that that is really rarely true because even if if you've been, you know, it, as as if if you would have been growing up in the US, for instance, but to German parents and gone to an international school, I think the dominating culture in you would still be German. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we have, we are raising, you know, third culture kids, which uh-huh. basically are exposed to the German culture, the Brazilian culture, have been exposed to the French culture because they went to the public school there mm-hmm. and are now exposed to, well, the U.S. culture. Um, But I don't see that there is one dominant culture in them. Um, Even though I'm the mother, they have just as much much exposure to the Brazilian culture of their father. So I don't think they would naturally, they wouldn't choose, obviously. Um, It's both within them, but they would know how to navigate both of them. I mean, that's the beauty of being, you know, raised in this multicultural environment. They know how to shift and adapt. And I mean, I just seeing my daughter speaking French, I think she's a completely different person, right? The way she acts, her mm-hmm. mimic, the the way she she behaves and, 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 and acts with others. Whereas if she turns to me, her demeanor is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so she definitely knows how to code switch and how to yeah. shift her behavior. Um, 
but that those are those are you know a niche of people which i think are growing um in the 21st century because there's more parents and more Mm -hmm. immigrants but um to answer your question i think if you have lived most of your life and you've waited until your adult years to really go abroad Mm -hmm. um you are essentially you have a you have the roots of one culture really ingrained in yeah. you and um, definitely you can expand and you can shift and, but there'll always be a preference, right? That you yes. will have. Yeah. Well, maybe that's, that's nicely put as well. Not a, and, and nothing is good or bitter, uh, good or, no. or bad like that. Um, out of the countries that you've lived and you've, um, let me see if I can, I, I got that right. Um, of course, Germany, evidently France, US, Australia, China, France, I heard again. Um, Denmark. Denmark. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Any of those countries have a favor? Are they, I mean, do you have, uh, um, prefer one or the other? Um, Without shooting down any country, of course. That's not, <laughs> that's, it is a personal preference, or maybe you had a best fit here, or maybe somewhat of a, uh, a fit with somewhat friction in the other country. Mm, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a favorite. I would have a least favorite country mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> without putting anybody down, but, sure. but I, I had the hardest time adapting to French culture, to be honest. Okay. And people are often surprised because they think China, you know, because that's the obvious exotic country out of all of them yeah. um, from a German perspective. But maybe because France is a bordering country to Germany, I didn't expect it to be as different. Um, had a hard time with a lot of the French cultural values, um, which is very different from my German-ness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, that, that was giving me more trouble than I expected. Okay. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a favorite. I liked all of the places for different reasons, mm-hmm. but I would say the struggle were the, the hardest in France. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes good sense. I, I guess from a, from a German perspective, looking from a German perspective, looking at a French perspective, that might, uh, might make good sense as well. Um, I have another question, which is, um, and I'm, I need to phrase this really careful, uh, <laughs> because, because the, the reason, because I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about the Americans and I just, I'm just curious about your opinion. And, mm-hmm. um, that is, it's, it's my, it's not really a belief. It's more of an, of an, of an idea I have that the country, the people that are least sensitive to cultural differences, um, would not sensitive uh, have the least understanding of cultural differences would be the Americans. Would you agree with that? And so that's the question. The reason I'm asking that is, is that when you come from Europe or pretty much any other part of the world, the borders are relatively close, typically Europe. So you are sort of being raised with the idea, okay, if you cross the border then the language change changes in the old days, the currency would change as well. And when you are in, well, Denver, Colorado or wherever small town USA is you switch on the TV and you get, if you look at the news, you get the local news uh, with a radius of about 20 miles or something. Mm. Would you agree with, with me that, that, um, Americans are the most, uh, I'm using air quotes here, ignorant when it comes to different cultures? And ignorant, it doesn't mean silly or stupid, right? That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, having just traveled here in the last two months and, having seen the diversity of the U.S. as well. I mean, just by the geography and then also the the different states and they almost have a distinct different culture, I would say. I mean, California is very different from Colorado, for example. Yeah. 
Um, I think that the, the sheer vastness of the country sort of hinders the, the interest in, in, in other countries. Uh-huh. I mean, um, looking at Europe, yes, we, we have many small nations clustered very closely together. And I would actually, I'm not sure I would agree that in this day and age, since the borders are so open and it's very fluid, I do think that there is a, yes, there's still a distinct understanding of your national culture, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a millennial and I think that a lot of millennials from France and Denmark and other places I've been are actually very similar in their approach uh, within Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your original question, I think um, what I experienced here in the US is that there are already so many cultural differences within the US mm-hmm. that they're more probably more prone to be aware of those and sensitive to those. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about political correctness, about mm-hmm. the different um, races and, and, and immigrant issues that they have here that I think a lot of people have a political opinion about that, mm-hmm. but not about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there are so many things going on in the news here. Where I, enough already. Where, where I could see a lot of cultural, um, you know, theories and, and, and the stuff that we teach about being aware and sensitive be applied to that. I think that it, it's almost too much to ask to like, to, to really think about, okay, what is China up to? What is China and Taiwan's meeting going to be about from an average citizen in sure. a small town, Colorado, right? They might be more concerned about, the uh, the Mexican immigrants or the uh, the uh, influence of the Navajo culture here. So there's so much difference within that country mm-hmm. that I I can sympathize with them not being too much concerned about you know us in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm not sympathizing with that at all. Yeah. It's just an observation that I see, mm-hmm. um, whereby I think that Americans tend to be more ignorant when it comes to cultural differences. Like the, mm. it's, is that really different is because Americans go to Europe and they go to Europe. They don't go to, to France. Um, and of course you get these silly jokes like, okay, uh, what day is it today? Tuesday. So this must be Paris. You know, these, these yeah. kind of, kind of jokes that you get. So, um, I think I just uh, eradicated half of the audience that's listening to the, to this podcast <laughs> because about 50% is actually from the United States. And I, but I do mean this with, with the best intentions and absolutely not negative. I, I love the U.S. I love living there. Um, I have lived there as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite destinations. Very mm-hmm. much so. Okay, just getting, I was just curious about your, your personal and uh, slash professional opinion as well, yeah. which, which for me is a good segue to get to your profession as well, which uh, is something that triggered me first to get in touch with you, which is sports psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you are an organizational psychologist as well as I am as well. And, but you do something with sports psychology. Can you sort of elaborate, uh, and sort of tell us a little bit more about what is sports psychology? Mm hmm. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I'm an organizational psychologist and uh, I did some sports psychology in university and now I'm basically using it to teach and train, um, professional athletes and teams, the same concepts that we're using within, um, corporations to elicit inclusive leadership. So really including everyone in the team to contribute, mm-hmm. um, and to manage their career transitions because a lot of professional athletes are going abroad. Right. Um, I mean, if you just look at the football yeah. or soccer landscape for those 
Americans listening, um, there's a huge mobility within that sector of professional football players in Europe alone. Um, and so sports psychology originally is about um, using the mindset and, and men mental um, mental toughness, so mm -hmm. to say, to um, enhance the performance of, of an athlete. Okay. Um, it's, it's really taken off in the last... 20 years, I would say, where um, the the sports industry realized that there's only so little enhancement you can do with training and equipment technology, but you can the, the you can make that one percent difference of you know winning the hundred meter race mm -hmm. or losing by shifting your mindset and the way you focus and the way you train athletes in, in their mental game, as right. they call it. So, so there's a lot of Im Im imagining practices, vision, vision um, work where you visualize um, an outcome and things that are now being used in coaching and in other practices and other industries as well. Yeah. So basically you're saying it's mind over matter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, mind makes the difference in the end, right? It's the mindset. Yes. Yeah. As, as I've heard some, some quote, I'm, 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 I would consider myself a sports person, but I'm, I'm, I'm an amateur sports. And mm -hmm. the only, the, the only thing that I do is running. Uh, I just do, do that to keep fit as well. Mm -hmm. I've done a marathon uh, about a hundred years ago, the New York marathon. Um, nice. Yeah. That was cool. That was really an experience to do. And I heard somebody say once in a quote, like a marathon is something you run with your mind and not, not of course with your body, but you run it with your mind because if your mind is not up, up for it, you know, your body is just not going to follow really. Exactly. Um, so I mean, that's, that's just, there's just something insane about running yeah. 40 to what is it? Kilometers. Yeah. And 200 <laughs> meters. Don't forget those last 200 meters because if you don't run that, you don't get the medal either. They don't so, make, they make all the difference, right? Absolutely. No, it's, it's true. It's, um, it, it's really what, um, I think when we're talking about professional sports is what makes the biggest difference right now, because yeah. most athletes, if not, I would say 90% of them have access to the same training material, the same equipment. Mm. Um, if they have sponsors, they can use the technology and, and whatnot. And, and professional teams are obviously equipped with physiotherapists and, you know, they have all the glitz and bling, sure. <laughs> but what makes the difference, whether you whether an athlete can actually call on that performance and that potential in the situation where they need to. Okay. And, um, and so that's, that's not exactly what I'm working with because what I do is I combine those two fields, right? So I work with athletes when they, for example, um, when they're going overseas, I just had uh, a volleyball player that's gone to, to Finland. Um, and, uh, from, from the U.S. Okay. Um, to Finland, and uh, what we what we do is we we have a coaching conversation. So we I coach them regularly, or I um, give them training opportunities, um, mostly virtual, mm -hmm. um, where it's really about okay, how can you call on your performance and how can you perform to your best ability while dealing with you know this, this the potential stress of being in a very new environment and in mm -hmm. a culture where you know nothing about the culture where you cannot navigate with the automatic behavior that you are used to. So just, you know, imagine going into a supermarket mm -hmm. and not knowing what to buy because you can't read what is on the, you know, the, the, the products. Yep. And it just, it can become, <laughs> I mean, not to say stressful, but it just, it takes longer. It takes away time and energy and, and all of these things accumulate over the first, let's say month or two yeah. where really 
they're supposed to hit the ground running. Those professional athletes usually come in, they're being picked up from the airport and literally either the first or second day, they're already in practice with their new team ready for the game on the weekend, right? So they have no time to to, accom- to acclimatize, to get rid of the jet lag or let alone to like learn about the culture and to, to um, adapt to the new environment. Yeah, makes good sense. Now, we're, we're, um, you are, as an audience, you're listening to the Culture Matters podcast because I'd like to blend culture in um, at some particular moment as well. Yeah. So because you said, take this this American athlete going to Finland, that's quite a different culture, I would mm-hmm. imagine. And so how do you, how do you prep uh, him or her for that cultural transition? Because, I mean, I can imagine if you, uh, if you, um, one thing is going to another team and possibly another climate, but these are all most physical experiences, I would say. But how about the mindset? How about this cultural transition? What do you do there? Um, so I, um, my approach is often that, you know, prepping them on the do's and don'ts of the culture is not going to help them. They can read about that in a book or a blog or, you know, whatnot. That's not yep. what I'm there for. I'm there to coach them through that transition. And so it's really about making them aware of their own values. So what are they bringing with them in their suitcase, basically? What What is it that is important to them? What is it that they need to feel comfortable? Yep. And where do they need to stretch themselves because they are in this different culture? And so it's a lot about managing their expectations mm-hmm. often Oftentimes there's nobody that will talk to them before. Their agents are usually only interested in the money. (laughs) Um, And the club is obviously only buying the player because of their stats and their performances. So they could care less about you know, how they're doing, adapting to Finland. <laughs> so con- concretely, how, what would you tell this, this, this American person then when it comes to moving to Finland? What, what are his or her norms and values then? Um, I would tell them to, so I have exercises that I go through with Uh them where they literally have to pin down their three to five most important values. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we look at how will those values, and we look at the Finnish culture, the Finnish values system, um, picking on, you know, a few concepts there. And then we look at, okay, how will that influence um, your, your life there and, and, and your success there. So this person, for example, is, is quite a direct communicator, very, very open, you know, um, and the Finnish culture is, is less direct, um, and, and is much more comfortable with silence, which he is not. (laughs) Are you telling this person then, you know, make sure that you, that you're able to keep your mouth shut at times and don't blabber on and how does that work? Just curious. How, how do you motivate somebody like that? Um, I, I, I wouldn't tell him what to do, but I give him, I give him the hints to think about, to reflect on it himself. Okay. Um, so he obviously will have a coaching staff that is mostly Finnish. And so I tell him to observe the, 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 the style of communication yeah. that his coach displays. Okay. And then we, we come back to talk about his observations. I might give him some vocabulary Okay, so is this direct or indirect? Is this yeah. low context, high context? You know, so giving him some vocabulary to work with so we can talk better together yeah. and then letting him reflect, okay, so if I want to have a good relationship with this very indirect coach, how can I make sure that um, my communication matches that to have a good relationship with him, right? Um, and then the same with the team. Are there certain teammates from different cultures? Is it a purely Finnish team? Um, obviously it differs. Um, and so really looking at their unique situation mm-hmm. and then making sure that 
because even though he's U.S. American, he might still be in, an indirect communicator, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's obviously variations within a culture, especially as big as the U.S. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so really looking at their own value proposition and then that of the country where they're going to and seeing where are the biggest gaps there. Okay. If, if you... Um If you coach people in a sport, right, that's mm-hmm. uh, within one country. So you, you're coaching an American team within the United States. That's that's one thing to do. How big of a, if you can put a figure, a percentage, a number on it, how big of um, of an influence is it that, that one person or a couple of people actually move to another culture and perform the same sport? How much of an influencer is that? Um, on the, on the team itself or on the individual or on the performance. I mean, take, take this as, as, uh, as, okay. a, as a, a concrete point in case you're American going to Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a chance that the cultural difference that he, he or she is facing, um, would intervene, intervene with his performance? Definitely. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole reason I've, um, I've started this program, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that, um, there is, there's a, there is a very big, um, intervention or influence of struggling with the adaptation yeah. in, into their performance. Definitely. And I've talked to some, some very high level coaches, talked to the, um, the national team volleyball coach of Germany, for example, who's, who's Belgium, by the way. Um, and, um, and he said very clearly that the communication is what makes all the difference. If right. he, as a coach, cannot communicate directly to a player, if there's always a translator in between, if there's, um, if there's this barrier because of culture and they cannot work together because of that it just won't work as good as the player is there is this team coherence that they need to create especially in a team sport right where it's almost automatic and they have to work as a unit and if these cultural differences have too much influence in the way that maybe okay maybe nonverbal communication in finland is way different from the u.s right Mm -hmm. and 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 bringing those two together, um, it takes a lot of team building, a lot of trust. Um, and so it has a very big influence. I mean, th- there's been cases where athletes have become so homesick and mm-hmm. just so unable to cope with the differences that they've packed their bags and left. And it's not a, it's not, it's not a rare case of what I know is that oftentimes you don't hear about it because you only hear about those athletes that eventually will succeed but there's many that stopped their career because they had an agent that sent them abroad and then they'd left them there with no support you know i mean there's there's just too many stories yeah, yeah i can imagine yeah Are, is yeah. there any particular country that is more sensitive to overlooking these cultural differences um i wouldn't say there's a country i would say there's um there's certain sports that are better than others and there's certain clubs that are better than others. So typically the, the very high level champions league clubs, football teams are actually doing a pretty good job integrating their team, their teams and their players. They usually give them translators. Sometimes they give them sort of like a, a, a cultural buddy. Um, there was a Japanese player in Germany, for example, and um, the club actually hired Japanese um exchange students <laughs> yeah. from the university in Germany to be 
sort of um, a sparring partner for that um, for that player and his wife um, as they were moving to Germany. Um, so so there's a, some good examples, but most of the times as as we go lower in the league and as we go into sports that are not as mainstream as football, yeah. it's pretty. It's a pretty dark landscape, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work for you to do then. Yeah, exactly. I guess. All right. I have a, um, I have a, three more questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about a book you recently published, which is called Play Abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, or Play Abroad One-on-One. Um, -on -one. What is it? It's, it's Play Abroad, right? It's Play Abroad 101. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a guide for professional athletes that are looking to go abroad. And it's um, sort of their... It's meant to be their first go-to resource uh -huh. if they don't have access to, you know, coaching sessions or to in, intercultural training or to any sort of support. Then that's their first place to go. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, cheap publication costs ten bucks, um, so it's really affordable, and it, it gives a lot of case studies and um, exercises and really practical checklists for them to go through as they go along in their journey to prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, for going abroad. So um, that's something I published recently yeah. um, to give them a, just something to work with. I heard that on your podcast because you're mm -hmm. also a podcaster. You're quite a busy, I uh, am. busy woman, aren't I you? Am. I am. I'm, yeah, I, uh, I try my best. And honestly, since I've had kids, I've become much more productive. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you really not learn how to manage your time, I think. I guess, um, yeah. So yeah, I have, a, I have a podcast as well, which is called um, Fit Across Cultures. And um, I interview professional athletes that have been abroad. So they really, they share their stories just like we're doing here now. Yeah. Um, and I also interview um, professionals that are working with athletes in different areas such as mindfulness player development um, and and transition management to mm -hmm. give athletes more of an idea of you know all the resources that are actually out there that okay. they can use where can people find the book um, the people can find the book at playabroad101.com okay. so just like the name of the book or they can find it on Amazon if they like hard copies um, you can buy it on Amazon. The digital copy is available on the website. Okay. Um, and then if they want to reach out to me and, you know. I'm not uh, there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Perfect. I'll ask you in the end. So don't, 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 don't cut ahead of me now. Um, <laughs> uh, just good. because some people just want to uh, maybe go ahead and play abroad. 101 is uh, the words play and then abroad and then. Uh, the 101. Number, exactly. So dot com. Yeah. So that's where you need to be. It'll be in the show notes as well, by the way. Um, Two more questions left. One is maybe a silly one, but nonetheless, it has sort of a serious undertone. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, um, uh, you call it, so we call it football. They call it soccer. Uh, we know that's, that, that's a game that's been played by the foot. So we're talking about the football, the soccer game. Right. There are, um, you know, the two rules to, to football, right? To European or to, to soccer as such. Let's call it soccer because everybody understands what we're talking about then. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the two rules of soccer. You know, the two rules of soccer? enlighten me oh i'm gonna enlighten you okay now rule number one is a match takes 90 minutes right and rule number two is germany always wins <laughs> now that's and since you are German, i like that second rule <laughs> <laughs> well that seems, seems to be the case typically if you look at the last world championship soccer mm -hmm. that was being played that was a final against the, uh, the dutch um the dutch 
lost the final, so they came second place. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, actually, I, I'm not a football watcher, so I, if, I might get it wrong. But they were the Dutch were pretty good. They were in the in the finals or close to there, anyways. Uh, and so were the Germans. They actually won this thing. Now, in I think next year we've got the European Championship football mm-hmm. slash soccer. The Germans obviously are in there, um, and the Dutch are out. Is there any cultural component in playing soccer? Uh, on the national level? Yeah, I guess, um, yeah. Well, there's some interesting research that they did um, after the World Cup in Brazil. And they so they looked at the teams that were performing the best, uh-huh. and then they looked at their players and how much international experience they've had. So mm-hmm. literally speaking, how culturally competent were they to yeah. perform successfully in different countries to be able to then make it into their national team. Right. And what they found is that the most successful teams within the World Cup were the ones that had the highest percentage of players that played abroad at one point in their career. I saw so there is experience, yes. So having this experience and a lot of players attest to this is that being put out of your comfort zone in a sport that you know very well, mm-hmm. but being in this very different place and having to adapt not only in your in your life, in your in your personal life and the in the culture you live in, but also in the sport because even though they say football is football, it's played very differently in different countries. Yes. So they really expand their repertoire, just like any businessman does when, you know, you're going abroad and you're learning about different strategies and communication styles and work styles. You're really expanding um, your your skill set, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the oh, things yeah. that you can choose from. And this is the same for a player. So to me, it's very natural to think that somebody that has been abroad and and been an international success must be able to perform better because they can adapt to the different situations and to the pressures that, you know, these international tournaments adhere at ultimately, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're under a lot of pressure. So you have to have that mindset to be able to perform under any circumstance and being able and having proven that abroad in an international setting, I think is really an advantage there. I think, I think Susan, you and I need to write a book on this. <laughs> I see. I see. I see the, the the birth of a book almost. I think this is very. Mm-hmm. You've put it really nicely when it comes like you know, if you play top sport, if you, that's the same as being in in top entrepreneur or top business. Definitely, um, well, I see a lot of parallels. I think absolutely. the the mindset and the the ambition and the discipline and how you deal with failure is very diff- It's very similar to a successful athlete, to a successful entrepreneur and businessman. If you can't deal with failure, if you can't get up Mm -hmm. after you lost a game or after you lost a contract and you can't keep going, you're, you're bound to fail, right? You're bound to fail in business. You're bound to fail in sports. If it wasn't for this interview, I would have come up with a title in a minute. Uh, (laughs) There's definitely a book in this, uh, this conversation. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Fantastic. Um, Okay. We're closing into the end uh, Mm because I I tend to keep the interviews around 30 minutes and we're a little bit over already, but I um, really enjoyed the the topic so far and the, uh, and the conversation, of course, Mm -hmm. as well. So two questions left and one, I prepped you before I hit record, actually. Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent from your own experience, Susan? Sure. Um, and so I like acronyms. Okay, nice. <laughs> and um, since my company is called Fit Across Culture, I chose the acronym FIT. So F-I-T. Yeah. The first one is F. So find new perspectives. So I would really encourage everybody to to look beyond what is normal to you. 
and find things that you think, oh, they might be weird at first or they might not feel normal and really look at new perspectives mm-hmm. to, a, to the same situation. The next one is I, which means then integrate them into your life. Yeah. So really use the perspectives that you found and integrate them into your professional life, into your personal life to enrich your experiences when you are living abroad or living at home in a very, you know, international environment or working for a multinational company. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is T and that is trust the process. Um, so often I find that people are very impatient when, you know, we coach them, we train them and um, they feel that these things should be, you know, working out the next day. And it's just not like that. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a long and um, very enriching process mm-hmm. if you follow it. But um, I think you have to give it the time that it needs. Okay, that's really nice. So find new perspective, integrate them into your life and trust the process. And yes. I think for a lot of Westerns, <laughs> that's the short fuse. Like I sent you an email like an, an hour ago. Exactly. You should give me an answer already. It doesn't always work like that. Exactly. Okay. Yes, that's what my wife keeps telling me as well. Okay, Chris, get some patience. <laughs> All right. Um, Susan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'm sure other people might want to talk to you as well. And if they do, how can they get in touch with you? Um, sure. So if people want to reach out to me, I can best be found on social media, which yeah. is, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm there at Fit AX Cultures. So Fit AX Cultures. Um, it's too long to spell in, if I would spell it out. Yeah. Um, or they go to the website, which is fitacrosscultures.com. Fit across cultures.com. Okay, great. Um, like I said before, it's been a, a really nice conversation. Again, another a, a take on culture or another, uh, how do you say, illustration where culture actually matters. And I think mm-hmm. it matters in pretty much every aspect of our lives if we are working to some extent internationally or with people from a different culture. I think it just, it's so important um, to not overlook this, uh, this subject. Susan, thank you very much for. Uh, well, waking up early uh, and taking the time to talk to us. And um, I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much for the interview. It was a pleasure talking to you, Chris. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Susan. Again. So maybe we are going to write that book. Who knows? Sports and business. Hmm thinking about it. Well, thank you for listening to the Culture Matters podcast. If you do like um, what I'm doing here, then I would really appreciate if you would take the time and go to iTunes and give me a your honest feedback rating. Um, that would help the promotion of this podcast as well. Or otherwise, you can go to culturematters.com and uh, take the podcast tab and leave me a note there in the interview I just did with Susan. Well, Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with another content podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.